Welcome to episode 161 of Friars on the Farm. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Hello, everybody. How are we doing out there? What? I mean, just, just before we got on, on to record here, a ton of stuff happened. I mean, our, earlier today, um, they reinstated Luke Foyt and, and Will Myers from the major, for, to the Major League team, and they finally, after, you, they finally sent C.J. Abrams down. Right. Yeah, I figured that that was coming now that they signed Sergio Alcantara. They claimed him off waivers, uh, utility infielder. So now that it means Kim's got to play every day. Cornerworth plays every day. Hosmer plays every day. Manny Machado's got to play every day. So that doesn't really leave a lot of room for CJ. So it was either he goes out to the outfield where he's out of position or you send him down and let him get his, his everyday at bat. So putting a utility infielder on the on the roster makes sense to do that. I just... I wish they would have called up Matt Batten for that spot. Yeah, absolutely. He's been playing well. The guy can do everything. And if if you just want somebody to, you know, be your emergency bench guy, you know, let let somebody who's never had the call come up and collect a check, even if it's just for a month or two. Yeah. And sometimes those are, you know, sometimes in, I mean, he was a pretty far long down the road pick, but sometimes in those contracts, when they sign, they, like they're absolutely a major league appearance. Um, if they reach this certain plateau, there's a major league appearance. So a lot of, that's why a lot of guys get a cup of coffee. It's like, okay, sure, you may have earned it, may not have earned it, but you we have fulfilled the contract, giving you a cup of coffee. And certainly he has earned it by merit and by being drafted by the organization. And why not? Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you're gonna bring up someone like Chase Thompson that was a minor for league free agent, sure he hit a ton of home runs, but you know. Well, and the other side of it is that Trace Thompson, I clearly when they signed him, they they had the notion that at some point they may have to turn and burn with it. You know, you, you bring him on. He doesn't have minor league options. And then as soon as you need that roster spot again, he's DFA'd. And it's yeah. And that's unfortunately that's a part of the game. But at the same time, that's why minor league free agents, they pick and choose what major league organization they're going to sign with, not based on who's going to have the best team or who has the best chance to win. No, it's who gives me the, the most direct path to a major league paycheck. Yeah. So thanks for what a month and a half of your Padres service, Trace Thompson. And uh, several uh, talks on here about hitting bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and the affiliate rundown. Yeah. Well, I'm sure somebody's going to pick him up and he'll be hitting bombs or heck he might claim clear waivers and right. go back to El Paso. Who knows? Right. So the, uh, the other big news, go ahead. Uh, the, the, uh, nope, we, we covered all of that. Okay. Go ahead. Well, the other big news, just to kind of like close out the old story on the major league team is, just as we were about ready to go on, I saw that Kevin Acey had tweeted that Bob Melvin is going to have prostate surgery. Right. Yeah. And they said that they don't know if it's cancer, cancerous or not. They'll find out once they perform the procedure. Uh, makes me think of a couple of years ago when Ted Leitner had a kidney issue and he went underwent surgery. Um, and I believe when he went in, they thought it was. And then after they did the surgery and did the biopsy, they learned that it wasn't. It was some kind of a cyst or something. But, uh, you know, he's missed he's missed a couple of games some sort of they were saying gastrointestinal. So, well, you know, hopefully uh, good recovery. But as it's been noted, there's I mean, you've got. Matt Williams on the major, uh, as your third base coach, right. lots of managing experience. You got Mike Schilt with the organization. You got David Price in a front office job, but you've got a few guys available that can step in and manage for a short period of time. Right, and his, and his, and the bench coach, um, Ryan Christensen. Christensen. Ryan Christensen. 
Yeah, I guess he was on he was on the COVID protocol, but they're thinking oh, he's going to be they th- they they think he's going to be cleared of that by the time the team leaves after uh, tomorrow's game. Today's right. Tuesday, so right. tomorrow they go on the road trip, and they think that Melvin he'll most likely be back by the next homestand. He might be able to join the team in San Francisco for the third. This is a three stop uh, road trip. Wow, it just it kind of. I, interesting that we had, you know, Matt Williams as a, as a coach and then bam, he doesn't start the season with the team because uh, of the hip surgery. And then, you know, this came up and I, I saw Melvin in the dugout the other day watching the Padre game and he did not like he, I'm like, dude, we're not losing. Why do you look like, why do you look like someone just killed your dog? Like he was very uncomfortable. He did not look well, you know? Right. Yeah. By, well, by mannerisms. Yeah. And the Matt Williams thing kind of caught me as strange because yeah, a hip surgery. It's that's something that you would think you're planning months in advance. Yeah. You know, there's long waiting lists. My my father-in-law is about to go in for hip replacement. And so he's been on a waiting list for a while because it's just hard to get operating room time for that kind of thing right now. Yeah. So I was surprised that, oh, we're going to show up to camp. And then a week later, here, oh, Matt Williams is getting a hip replacement. What? What? <laughs> and then they said he should miss a few days. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I had hip, I had my hip replaced. And I couldn't get off the couch. I mean, I had to get off the couch every day, but I could not. I needed a walker. Like, I, it was huge. I mean, it was a massive surgery. So it might have been a little bit different for him with the, with the hip surgery, but they lopped off the top of my femur and, and hammered in a brand new uh, titanium hip joint, ball joint, and put, a, put the, uh, just gnarly. I, it looks really cool on an x-ray, but let's move on. You, you weren't out there hitting fungos a week later? No, no. I had to cook my own dinner about four days after that. Damn. All right. So we're going to lead off with some general minor league news here. Uh, And this is something I'm excited to see. Triple A, they're going to have a championship series now. So minor league baseball announced uh, last Tuesday that the inaugural Triple A championship weekend will be held in Las Vegas from September 30th to to October 2nd. The two division winners from the Pacific Coast League will play each other on September 30th. And the two division winners from the International League will play on October 1st. The winner of each of the first two games will be declared league champion and will play each other on October 2nd in the AAA championship game. All games will take place at the Las Vegas ballpark, home of the A's AAA affiliate, the Las Vegas Aviators. Ooh, and I didn't think about this. Finn the Bat Dog. I wonder if he's going to be able to participate. I'm sure he would be. You know, it's, you know, it's his home ballpark, yeah? He'll at least be an honorary uh, attendee, even if he's not allowed to do his on-field stuff. Uh, but this is great. You know, the last few years, we haven't had a chance to see. And I know it's it doesn't really mean anything. It, right. Wins and losses and championships are, are, are tokens in minor leagues. It's all about player development. But it's still cool to see to see that championship game. And the players really do get up for it. Yeah, you know, and the fans get to participate. You know, there's a lot of – it's a whole series. So – you know, you got these teams coming in and it's a whole Las Vegas, you know, weekend. Uh, I'm sure they're going to change venue maybe every year where every organization will have a chance to do this, where there'll be some extra revenue, a chance for fans to see other teams um, and just kind of general kind of coolness. Yeah. Las Vegas is a pretty, uh, oh, twist my arm. I got to go to Las Vegas for a weekend yeah. to go watch the Memphis Redbirds take on whoever, you know, Yeah. <laughs> No, it'd be good. Bring a bunch of people in from all over the country. You got Red Rock Casino right there, like across the street from the ballpark. If you want to stay on property, yeah, yeah it'll be fun. Absolutely. So then, you know, we talked about the, uh, you know, the 
the reinstatement of Will Myers and Luke Voigt. I think Myers is in the in the uh, in the lineup tonight. They're both in the lineup tonight. What do you what do you think of that about bringing Voigt and Myers up in this circumstance? I well, obviously, Will Myers is absolutely. But Voigt, I just I, I don't know if I don't know what they're going to do. And I, I know that brother is going to do what he's going to do and he'll work his magic and we'll be all, it'll be all better. But right now, Luke Voigt just absolutely looks completely and entirely lost. I mean, he swings even, even before he got injured, he was swinging at anything within reach of, you know, and sometimes way out of the strike zone. He's just just he just lost. Yeah, I think I looked it up earlier. He was 0 for 18 in his rehab appearances with El Paso with 12 strikeouts. And so that says that he's hardly even putting the ball in play. Um, and Will Myers, he's his side of the thumb injury. But before that, you know, I'm sure the thumb was bothering him. But at the plate, he was not looking all that good either. So I figured this is an opportunity to give these guys some some reps yeah. away from the major league team where they can find the magic again. But I, I guess the outfield hasn't really been doing much anyway. So bring them back and hope that they bring some magic Sparks. with them. Right. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of a spark. So next week's roster moves in the system. Jose Castillo joins the two hours and tonight is bump day in El Paso. Yeah. We're coming to watch probably right after this. Yeah. So Jose Castillo had been in uh, Lake Elsinore yeah. with the storm. So he's just kind of moving on to the next phase of his uh, his rehab. And I saw Adrian Morahone. He I think he's pitching tonight in Lake Elsinore now. Yeah. Yeah. So more rehab guys, more guys on the way back. Great news. A a plethora. And we talked about this last time, a plethora of pitching for the Padre team. And that seems to be the talk about radio and social media is how do we get that back? We had the surplus of pitching. Well, I don't think we need to really worry about that till the trade deadline comes around in another month or so where we, you know, where Morahone and Baez have both had several rehabs. Um, Snell is back with the major league team and Cleveringer, who pitches tonight, will actually have, you know, another couple of rounds on in the rotation. So to really see where we are in mid-June or so, I'm not quite sure when the trade deadline is. Then we can look at, okay, okay, these guys are probably going to stay for a while. We can, you know we can trade off this and maybe get it back and maybe have to trim someone in the outfield as well. Right. And there's, there's definitely question marks. You don't know what Morahone and Baez are going to be like. We don't know what Mike Clevenger is going to be like today. The next couple appearances, you kind of need to see a few, a few outings before you feel comfortable. Same thing with Snell. Um, so I don't feel comfortable trading from the starting pitchers group at all. And then on the reliever side, the bullpen has been shaky. And you got a whole bunch of guys that should be super talented, should be able to get the job done. But, yeah, you know, until we see some games where that bullpen really comes in and starts to lock it down and people are finding roles. Yeah. I want all the arms we can get. Yeah. And, and you don't want to trade Lament at a time when he has got low value. I'm I'm a little <laughs> bit uh, I I'm I'm concerned about him. I very concerned. The the slider doesn't have the same shape to it. Uh, the fastball doesn't really have the life that it had. He's lost a couple miles an hour. You know, somebody goes from starting to relieving. Usually they add a little bit of velocity, not going the other way. And the command, I mean, not that he was a, a command kind of a pitcher in the right, first right. place, but he's having a hard time just finding the zone. It's not even command, it's control. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about Nelson Lamette. I hope he finds it, but man, I, it's not looking good to me. No, but it's still early and he's healthy. So that's another thing about it. he's just healthy. Everything else they can figure out. Nip. Health, healthy is a relative term. Yes. 
<laughs> okay. Right. Well, anyway, so other other transactions in the minors. Um, so Shogo Akiyama was finally announced as a member of the Padres organization. He's going to go to El Paso. Uh, Brent Rooker came off the IL. He'd been dealing with, I believe, a shoulder injury. Um, and Thomas Malone is heading to the missions for, you know, to make room for uh, Brent Rooker coming off the IL. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a little rough for Tommy Malone. He'd been having a decent year, but yeah. you know, there's only so much room in El Paso. So there you go. You, uh, you, you, you went quiet for the, at the wrong time and hope that I didn't pick that up, <clears throat> but moving on, <laughs> Hey, it, moving on, uh, Connor, Connor Hollis, the no batting gloves, throwback kid one Texas player of the week for the week, the May 2nd to the May 8th. And that's my major, uh, major league baseball today. Hollis is the first missions player to be recognized with an award this season. This is the first midseason award for Hollis in his professional career. So appearing in all six games last week against Corpus Christi, Hollis batted 522. That's 12 for 23 with two home runs, two doubles, 10 runs scored, eight runs driven in three stolen bases and seven walks. On May 4th, he went four for five with a double and three runs scored. The following night, he went three for five with three runs scored and a grand slam. Following the perform- his performance in Corpus Christi, he is now batting 287. That's 25 for 87 um, for the year. He has three home runs and six doubles this season. He has 15 runs batted in and has scored 20 runs in 2022. Pretty sweet. Pretty, pretty solid. Pretty, pretty solid for a guy that we got from the uh, – you know, we got from the uh, he he left the the Tampa Bay Devil Rays organization. We signed him as a minor league free agent. Yeah, he was. I guess the Rays signed him as an undrafted free agent, and then he was with them for four years. And he hit, but I you know it's the the politics of you know, who who got the big draft pick money, who got the big international right. money, who's the top the hot prospect, and so somebody like Connor Hollis. Uh, kind of reminds me of Matt Batten, kind of an infield utility guy, plays second, third, a little bit of shortstop, bounces around, does everything, but never really draws the praise because right. I guess there's no one tool that jumps off the page, but he does right. everything well. Right, absolutely. I'm kind of surprised we haven't uh, heard Estuary Ruiz's name brought up in the Player of the Week yet. He's seems like every week he, he's having a good week. Well, it's funny because he was the last he was the last business player to be named um, Player of the Week, and that was back in August of 2021. So he is, but just by like, by the fact that he was the last guy and you're <laughs> right. right. He's been tearing it up and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, it's through Ruiz is another guy that needs to be moved up as well. But I think, you know, that happens in good due time, but let's move on. So God bless John Conniff and Mad Friars. First of all, thank you guys for allowing us to have all this information and use your guys' content for our podcast. Um, there just hasn't been a lot of nationally written stuff on any of the minor league system here and for the Padres. And so um, Conniff just went out to uh, Fort Wayne a couple of weeks ago, did a ton of interviews. Uh, here's his interview with Robert Hassel, the third, some really good stuff in here. And then later on after this is going to be uh, Brian Esposito, the first year manager for the Fort Wayne tin caps. So this is Conniff with uh, RH three. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You'll find out Bobby barrels. <laughs> When we spoke at spring training, you talked about how you had to fight to survive playing alongside major league players at the alternate site where, uh, where you went weeks after being drafted at a high school. What was the biggest thing that you got out of that experience? Uh, Robert Hassel, just having the confidence in myself that I was good and was there for a reason, not trying to change everything every day. There were that three weeks to a month period where I struggled against those really good arms that were better than me at the time. So I stuck with it and put it into work every day. 
I think I got the results I wanted in the end and learned that by sticking with it, I could get better. You know, that's, that's huge. You know, that, that shows a lot of maturity and like, you know, you're not doing well. And obviously you know, you're not going to be doing well, but then you want to change everything to try to do well, instead of just sticking with what, you know, doing what you do and letting that kind of shine through after a while. Right. It's hard to trust the process sometimes if you're not getting the results you want. Yeah. So one thing that stands out in your approach at the plate, how would you describe your approach? I look for something early in the count and I want to be on their fastball, whatever pitch it is. Every pitch's first pitch that they ever threw was their fastball. So they would have to a bit of confidence with it. So I want to be able to hit that pitch. The main thing is expecting what you're going to get, not what you want. Yes. As a hitter, you want the middle middle end pitch, but you know that they know that too. They do their research. They watch their videos so that they will make adjustments. So they may be trying to get some quick strikes on the outside. And as a hitter, if it's a strike, I want to be able to hit that. Since I became pro, I've gotten pretty good at hitting that outside pitch, whether a fastball or something else. I try, I never try to get them. Uh, I, I try never to give them a pitch. For me, the outer two thirds of the plate, up, down, and middle. I want to be able to hit that pitch for inside fastball. If someone can paint that inside at 96 or 97, that's going to be hard to hit anyway. So you might have to tip your cap, but also when you get something in there, that is largely a reaction. Your ability to hit the ball the opposite way really stands out. The other day with two strikes, you punched more than uh, swung at a pitch to the left side and then beat it out. How did you do that? He was throwing in the upper mid upper nineties and he threw low. It wasn't a strike. I was able to do that because I was on time with this pitch with two strikes. Sometimes you're going to go on pitches that you don't want to go on. I think some of the work that I've done allowed me to get a barrel on it and give me a chance to use my legs. When I got on, when I got on first base, when I looked at him, he kind of gave me that look like, how do he hit that? Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the answer he gave before that talking about hitting, getting pitches at different parts of the zone and yeah, yeah he really does speak like somebody with a more advanced uh, approach. This is the kind of thing that I hear really good hitters at the major league level, uh, the, the kind of language that they use. Right. I mean, I don't know the first thing about hitting a baseball outside of, you know, I can step in a batting cage and, and look like an idiot. Um, you, but you don't hear 20 year olds talking about having that kind of approach and that kind of patience, that understanding about covering the plate and going this way, that way with different pitches that you, th- there's a lot of maturity here. Yeah, absolutely. And and even in high A, these guys are still trying to develop that approach, trying to develop what kind of hitter they are. And that's the maturity that you have with RH3 is like you have, like he knows that stuff. And maybe that's coming from the from the time he spent in the alternate site where he's, you know, we, he's like, this is what you need to work on. You know, the, hearing the other major leaguers talk about it, you know, he picks that stuff up. So um, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Yeah, so yeah. That's a good point. He was around a lot of a lot of very advanced hitters and all the best hitting coaches for a whole summer. That's not something a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of 20 year old, 19 year olds get. So they have you play in the corners occasionally when you're not in center and they have big Joshua Mears in center who can really run. I've noticed everyone is really aware of when Josh calls for a ball. Uh, Robert Hassel laughs. You definitely do not want to be clotting with him. He is a big man. Joshua is a center fielder and Corey Rozier is too. We have a good group of outfielders that can cover some ground. There have been some very, there have been very few communication issues. And I think we play pretty well together. The last question, there's been some controversy about your nickname. Is it Bobby barrels or is it Bobby three sticks? They both are good, but which one do you like best? He laughs again. To be honest, I saw on Twitter, some people call me Bobby, Bobby three sticks a while ago and I liked it. 
It's original. I've always thought of it nice that anyone comes up with a nickname for me and I appreciate it. But Robert, you've got to pick one. Which one is it? <laughs> I hate to make anyone mad, but I've heard Bobby Barrels more and I like it. I like it sound how it flows. It does flow nice. Yes. And does. being that he's a hitter, you're looking for <laughs> barrels. And so that, that I think the three sticks. So I'm a golfer again. And uh, Charles Howell, the third, uh, he was, he was on the tour, like back in the two thousands yeah. and he was, people called him Chucky three sticks because oh, the, really? the third. Yeah. So I'm thinking that it came from, from that people were familiar with, Oh, the third three sticks. Yeah, he was a pretty good golfer. Did he just kind of fall out of the tour? Yeah. He's still out there. He just never kind of, he, he was never a superstar. Right. He was always kind of a really good golfer. Not quite the cream of the crop. Every time I heard, I saw him, you know, just saw the name. I always think of Gilligan's Island, Mr. Howell. Oh, right, right, right. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so thank God. That's what goes. So everyone loves an, a, a good alliteration. God, I hope I pronounced that right. Alliteration. Yes. Alliteration. That's the, the Bobby Barrels. Yeah, the Bobby Barrels. See, and I wanted to make a shirt with, um, you know, with him, you know, batting. But with the barrel, actually, like keg barrels on the as the barrel of the bat. Oh, okay, that could work. Maybe somewhere in the future we contact him and we can talk about that. Maybe make it like a Popeye kind of a thing. Yeah, a pop, Popeye had his can of spinach. <laughs> uh, so Connor's interview. Uh, so he's uh, so also the interview here we have with Brian. Esp- uh, thank you, John Conniff has with Brian Esposito. I don't know how John came up with all the time to do all these interviews in between taking in all of the uh, the. Fort Wayne fine dining culinary designs of <laughs> yes is it Susie's was the place you guys go to Susie's oh Cindy's Cindy's ah. Cindy's diner if you're ever in Fort Wayne you got to go to Cindy's it's a little it's I'd call it a hole in wall but it's a standalone kind of a place there's maybe 10 seats in the whole spot but amazing greasy spoon food and there's a good burger place around the corner from the ballpark there's a whole bunch of good spots right there Okay, so anyways, after six years with Anthony Contreras at the helm, the Tin Caps have new leadership. Brian Esposito came over from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization after Contreras accepted a position managing the Phillies AAA affiliate. Esposito spent nine years managing for the Pirates, the last four with AAA Indianapolis. The Staten Island native and University of Connecticut Husky spent 13 years in the minor as a catcher, making two brief appearances in the majors. Uh, Mad Friars. Coming out of the draft, the big thing we read about Robert Hassel III was that his hit tool was off the charts, but many were not sure if he could stay in center. When we got an opportunity to watch him last year in Lake Elsinore, we were surprised at how well he played there, his speed, and that he is a lot better athlete than we had read about. Brian, you know, I'm kind of judgment-free coming in from another organization, so I hadn't seen the things you talked about firsthand. Going to spring training, seeing him a little bit this winter, good athlete, good speed, put together some good room to grow in the body, put together with some good room to grow in the body. So I was eager to see how he moved in games, his routes in the field and things like that. I was impressed. There's some room to grow in his routes and play a major league center field, but he does many things. Well, there is an extreme ability to find the barrel on the offensive side. His bat to ball skills are extremely impressive as is his speed, but he puts some balls in play because of the weak contact. He has a chance to reach. He has a chance to reach. He has the best of both worlds. He can reach base because of his speed and barrel up some balls with a lot of authority. Throwing the fact that he can hit the ball with power the other way. And that is a nice combination. I need to stop here real quick and know that this was edited for lightly edited for a kind of context and context. context. Um, 
I saw a post. I think it was Matt Fryer's pointed out the other day. It was a picture of all three of the uh, of the Tin Caps outfielders, uh, Mears, Hassel, and Corey Rozier. And the comment was that they're blessed that they have three guys that can play center field, and all three of them have played center. And they didn't realize that Joshua Mears has spent time out there. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, with that with that kind of speed, still still letting him get some reps in center field. I love it. Absolutely. As as a as good as he was yesterday, I thought it was amazing how well he punched the ball the other way with two strikes. Is that a unique ability you see with him, Brian? It is, and it's also one of the things that could get him into some trouble at higher levels. We talk a lot about getting into a position of power when you're hitting. Sometimes we kind of he kind of sells out to just putting the ball in play so we can run. As he grows more in the game, he'll learn when and when not to do that. I think getting into a stronger position to hit is something we are looking for him to do, for for him to do, but he has been outstanding so far. That's an interesting comment right there. That one stood out to me too because you know oftentimes we see these interviews and it's filled with just gratitudes and they're just right. heaping praise on everybody. It's not often that we see somebody being a little bit critical, and yeah. and I I like that that okay you're doing all this stuff great, but there's still things you need to work on. Um, and this tells me that there's there's power that he can still get to uh, that he's not taking advantage of all the time. Certainly, the, and certainly development there. You know, we we you know us fans we want to read the box score like, oh my god, he's in three sixty three. Why is he in high A? Well, it looks like there's you know there's some room for growth. And you know, if you get up to double A, you want to make sure that growth is if not firmly in practice, but you know, well established before you move up a before you move up a grade. Right. So maybe the difference is there. They see him putting the ball on the ground, going the other way and using his speed. And they want to see those turn into line drives or yeah. into the into the left center gap, that kind of yeah. thing. Or even or even, you know, kind of like just waving off that pitch altogether today. Right before I got on, uh, he had a pitch. He fisted a pitch inside out and, you know, plopped it into left center or left uh, left down the line. And it was a pitch maybe he shouldn't have swung at, you know, and getting another better pitch and then driving the ball. Excuse me. Very so true. Uh, Brandon Venezuela has a really good idea of the strike zone offensively, but there have been raves about his defense and managing a game. As an ex-catcher, what have you seen of him, Esposito? The biggest thing I notice is game management. I'm just letting him find his way, and we might make one or two bullet points after the game. But those are things that are best learned by experience. If game management were that easy, everyone would just go to Walmart and buy a bunch of experiences. <laughs> it's not that easy. You're going to have to go out there, make mistakes, and get, better, and get better from them. Brandon has done a good job of learning and growing in the game. He is learning more about himself, his pitchers, and what the game tells him to do from series to series. That's very interesting. How to navigate pitches through some tough innings. It is really easy to catch a game when everything is going well. It's when they're not when you grow. It's when they're not when you grow. It is fun to sit back and watch. As it goes on, the question becomes more specific and pointed. But yes, I like how Brandon has been working. I like the phrase that you can't just go to Walmart and buy a bunch of experiences. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's the thing. Like, like just it's development. So these guys got to learn in game. And so you see, you watch some of these games, you're like, oh, my low A is so error, just tons of errors and that, you know, bad throws and not hitting the cutoff man or whatever. It's it's stuff that you need to learn. You can't learn by someone telling you. You have to actually experience it and go, oh, that's why we do that. Oh, so while you read this next one, I need to find this thing that the storm tweeted out. They have a sign over their stairway going down into the clubhouse uh, that, uh, I, that I love it. I need to find what it says. 
Is it a Jake Peavy? Isn't it? Is it Jake Peavy or is it someone else? No, it was a picture of, of Lucas Dunn heading down the steps. And then there's a sign okay. up above that you can read as you're going down the steps. So keep on going. All right. All right. We'll keep going. Even though his numbers don't show it now, I think Jared Dale could be someone to watch in the second half. Physically has grown so much since I first saw him. And it looks like he has some power when he makes quality contact. Defensively, he hasn't looked bad at shortstop either. Yeah, that's the thing about Jared. He is. I've watched him play the last four years. And man, four years ago, he was tiny. Like, God damn, this is a kid. Now you see him step up to the plate. And like now he's starting to fill out. He's looking like a ball player. Yeah, he's got some shoulders. Yeah, Esposito, absolutely. There's a ton of athleticism in there, along with some barrel. He was bouncing around all over in spring training, but when he moved to, uh, when we moved Angeles, it's Uribe Angeles, the day before we got out here, he assumed the role to play shortstop some more. He's really gravitated towards that position. He touches the ball very well, and now we are focused on the balls that are hit to his backside, backhand side, sorry. We are trying to get a little more on base, uh, a little more base on his throws than second base, where he played most of his game last year. There's something to be said for being able to go to your backhand side, put your spike in the dirt and throw a strike from with some backspin and carry across the field. And that is where his focus is right now. He is just learning how to be intentional with his work of making sure that the arm holds up for the season. That's preparation, arm care, being fundamentally sound in his throwing program and making sure he takes his ground balls every day. So the sign that I saw, uh, it says, uh, there will be obstacles, there will be doubters, there will be mistakes, but with hard work, there are no limits. Nice. That, that's a great message for these guys to see every day as they're going to work. Because uh, we went up on Saturday and I was talking to the guys, you know, the the other fans sitting next to us. And somebody was telling me about uh, Marcos Castagnon was playing third base and ball comes to him, runner on first base and easy play to get the guy at first. But instead, he tries to rush it and get the guy at second, and it winds up sailing out into right field. Yeah. And that's one of those that, like, you let the play happen, and afterwards, coach pulls him aside says, okay, this is the decision you made. This is what went wrong. This is what could have done. You know, it, it, those were the lessons yeah. are learned. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that you uh, you, you mentioned, Arribio Angeles, he went to uh, the A's in the Sean Manaya trade. The other person who went to the A's in that trade was Adrian Martinez. And today he made his major league debut. So congratulations, Adrian Martinez. Did he pitch today? I, yeah, there's a picture of him on the mound. So I'm assuming he did. I was about to check the scoreboard. And then the other bit of news uh, in recent history, uh, Jack Sawinski hit his first home run yesterday for the majors. Yes. 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 So good for him. The Jack attack. You know, it's funny. I, I, when we played the pirates, when the Padres played the pirates, I was like, okay, come on, Jack. God, I really don't, don't, I really don't want you to get a hit, but I really kind of want you to do well. They want you to do well, <laughs> but I want us to win. Right. Um, and God dang, if that kid did not make the major leagues and, you know, it's certainly, um, you know, his first home run. So he has, this is his chance to shine. Uh, so Adrian Martinez did pitch today. He threw five and a third innings, oh, gave up, gave up four hits, three strikeouts, no walks, no runs, and he got the win. Hell yeah. Oh, I would love to watch some of that game, yeah. maybe see that change up. Because I think I tweeted out the mad uh, from the mad from the Fresno Farm uh, Twitter, like, you know, elite change up coming, coming now. Yeah. I mean, you can't ask for a better debut than that. I mean, I mean, yeah, everybody wants to go out there and strike out 27 guys and and all that. But you go out, you get your first major league win. You have a pretty clean box score. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. 
So moving on, a general, so this is uh, John Connor to Brian Exposito, a general scouting report on Robert Gasser. He was a relatively high pick out of the University of Houston, lefty, and it seems like the opposition has trouble picking up where the ball is coming from. Brian, yeah, it's a different type of look. He has that inside-out approach, inside-outside approach, a sweepy slider, and his ball plays at the top of the zone. He has four weapons in that he is building on. If you have a lefty pitcher that throws from a funky slot with a little uphill, it's tough to pick up and square up. So I look forward to watching him progress, progress, learning how to use these weapons and minimizing the arm side run with, with balls that will spray. You should see more swing and miss in the zone when he knows how to do that. So he says a little uphill. So I haven't seen a whole lot of, of Robert Gasser. I, I get the impression he's kind of a sidearm release. Yeah, it's three quarters. Okay. But yeah. so when I see uphill, I'm thinking of like a submariner almost where, where it looks like the ball's coming in on a, on an upward incline, almost like uh, what Taylor, Taylor Rogers, Trevor Rogers, whichever one pitches for the giants. <laughs> what are the Roger brothers? <laughs> yeah. You know, they look the same. It's just one's a righty, one's a lefty. So the other lefty Jackson Wolf at six, seven looks like the emphasis should be much more on the vertical movement of his pitches as opposed to velocity. Esposito, he is another guy with some funk and deception, and the ball comes out hot. He is a tall, lanky guy on the mound, and the ball is always coming from different angles. He is competitive within the strike zone, and the ball moves within the zone. He can roll through a lineup with a lot of ground balls. He's another guy I look forward to watching him learn how to use what he has to maximize his effectiveness. He gets ahead of guys well, and now he's getting better at putting them away. Like, that's the big thing about these guys. You know, we always want to say velocity, 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 but teaching these guys how to pitch and using, you know, what they have and then improving on that uh, is, is one of the things that I think the Potters have kind of lacked in development. So hearing that's come from Brian, a little bit, like he said, a little bit more than just platter tips from these guys. Uh, it's certainly refreshing to see and kind of cool to hear. For sure. Um, I was reading a, a chat, I think it was on Baseball America, and somebody brought up Robert Gasser. And that was the, uh, the feedback. I think it was Kyle Glazer was talking about him. Um, it was that the sequencing can, can stand to, to be improved upon. Um, you just how you choose to attack hitters. And, and this is where these guys are really learning a lot of that. It's not until you get to double A that you start seeing guys that really understand how to set up pitcher or how to set up a hitter, move the ball around, move their eye level, um, you know, pick up, you know, on their, their swings and misses, their foul balls, learn those lessons as you're going through the at-bat and, and decide how to attack somebody. Okay, Absolutely. so let's move on to the affiliate rundown. Affiliate rundown. So starting in Lake Elsinore, um, I made it out on Saturday. This is my first time getting out to the uh, to the Diamond. Angela and I went up on Saturday, and it was Little League night. So there were tons of little kids in the place. I'd never seen the place so full. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, so strike one, righty Levi Thomas delivered the best outing of his career, working four scoreless frames and striking out a season high six batters. The Padres fourth round pick in the abbreviated 2020 draft. Thomas lowered his ERA on the year to 3.07, a significant improvement on his showing in Elsinore last season. Jose Castillo continued his rehab assignment with another scoreless inning. The big lefty allowed one single and struck out a batter. His breaking ball continues to look sharp out of the bullpen. Um, and I think I saw somebody, maybe it was, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to say who I thought it was. I don't recall. But they said that the shape on his breaking ball looks a little bit different than it used to um, the last time you saw him. So he's coming back. 
first he was rehabbing from Tommy John and then he finally made his way back. And in his first outing, he, I think he's, he sprained a tendon in his, in his throwing hand. Um, and so if this, you, it's the mechanics of throwing a pitch. I was talking to somebody about this with, about Denelson Lamette earlier, that the shape of his slider is different. And I wonder if it's because the, the way that your arm rotates when you throw a slider puts a lot of stress on that, on that ligament in your elbow. Yeah. Yeah. So it would make sense that somebody might want to alter that delivery just a little bit to try to reduce the, the amount of stress you're putting on that ligament. And that could change the shape of a breaking pitch. Which uh, could lead to where Lamed is right now. <laughs> right. But as encouraging Jose Castillo, yeah. he's had a handful of successful outings in Lake Elsinore. And as we noted earlier, now he's in, uh, in El Paso to test it against the big guys. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I saw Jose in, in, in Lake Elsinore, he's he's engaged with the team. He's, he wasn't just a guy making rehabs. You know, he was a part of the pitching, uh, you know, part of the pitching guys uh, hanging out, chatting like he was a part of the team. He wasn't one of those guys just there for for the time just to get back to the majors. But I, I which I really thought was like, wow, that's, that's really cool of him just to, you know, to be one of the guys. Well, it's been a long time since he's been with the major league staff, so. I'm, I'm sure the whole process is, is quite humbling. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, he spent quite a bit of time in Lake Elsinore, so it's probably a, a comfortable place for him. Uh, but I bet he looked like a, a man among, among children there now, now that he's grown a little older and all that. He, he did. He absolutely did. But let's move on to strike two. Thursday, Michelle Baez threw 30 of his 42 pitches for strikes in a smooth three innings in his second rehab appearance for Lake Elsinore, adding to the list of possible bullpen options for the Padres. Converted infielder Yuri, Yuri Lanides, Lanides, Landines, 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 picked up his first win of 2022 and his second of his professional career. The Venezuelan righty spent 2018-19 in the AZL playing all four infield spots, mostly the corners, before outgrowing it and running to, returning to Peoria in 21 as a relief pitcher. Lake Elsinore walked it off on a single by Max Ferguson, the 2021 fifth rounder, also stole his 23rd base. That's Jerry was a brisk driver. Max Ferguson <laughs> was a brisk driver. Keeping an eight-steal lead in the California League. Hey, oh, did I read that right? Keeping an eight-steal lead in the California League in early May. He's got the green light every time. He's got the green light. Absolute stud. Every like he stood out among everyone else on. He got in, got over, got over and got in and scored. Just amazing. Um, uh, this last year, California was stolen base champ. For some perspective, last year's California League stolen base champ swept 48 bases. Pierce Jones also swiped a trio of bags, giving him seven on the year. Matthew Acosta's second homer of the season helped spark Lake Elsinore's rally in the seventh. The 2019 12th rounder appeared in 81 games for Elsinore in 2021. Acosta also scored on a run, uh, scored a run on a home run by Carlos Luis. Luis is stashing a, a slashing, excuse me, 279, 323, 492, and a return trip to the storm. I'm a fan of the big lefty. <clears throat> Absolutely. Okay, so strike three, Saturday. This is the game I attended. Yeah. Victor Lizarraga didn't allow a run, but struggles with command meant he only made it through three and a third innings in his fifth start of the year. While the 18-year-old relied heavily on his changeup early in the year, he showed a better feel for his breaking ball Saturday as he held a solid Rancho lineup to only two singles. The San Diego native via Mexico has struck out 19 in 20 and two-third innings against only nine walks. He's still being stretched out and has only, shown, has only thrown five innings in one start. Cole Cummings hit a three-run shot to center field in the third. 
Uh, Cummings, 24, signed as an undrafted free agent out of UC Santa Barbara last summer, then hit 311, 426, 563 between the complex and Lake Elsinore last summer. After getting some work at third last year, he's only been at first since getting a late start this year because of an injury. Fellow undrafted free agent Justin Farmer had an inside-the-park home run and notched his eighth stolen base of the year. That inside-the-park home run was fun. So it went to left center. So the center fielder's going back to his left. He looks like he's going to play the carom off the wall, and it hit the very base of the wall right in the corner and took this weird kick, like, dead right. Yeah. And so when you see that, I'm thinking three. I see him turn in second base. I don't think there's a chance he's going to go as the ball is starting to come in. But there's the third base coach doing the windmill. <laughs> and he came in and the throw is a little bit offline, but he had the throw beat anyway. So he's got he's got more wheels than I knew. Dude, you text me that. He's like, Justin Farmer is at the park home run. I'm like, yes. Was it the Saturday game? Was a, We left early. It was a nightmare. But were you there? Yeah, it's Saturday's game. Saturday's Padre game. Oh, oh, right, right, yeah. right. Well, where I went to go say hello to uh, fellow podcast alumni uh, or a friend of the podcast, uh, Sam Levitt. Oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. said hi to him, too. He's yeah. he's uh, stationed up there in the Budweiser loft in yeah. the uh, in the um, the Western Metal Supply building. So if you go to a game, he he loves when somebody comes up and knows yeah. his name. <laughs> he's the new guy in town. Yeah, absolutely. so. Uh, so go up there and say hello to him. Uh, what's what surprised me about Lake Elsinore, the game was over and the sun was still up. It was yeah. a six o'clock game, uh, but the game just flew by. Our friend Gail was there. She uh, she's a photographer um, and she publishes with a bunch of different people, but she likes photographing the Dodgers players. Yeah. Uh, and so she was there in the in the in the photographer's wall for that. And she came up. She's chatting with us and the game's going on. Next thing I know, I look up It's the ninth inning. And the game just flew by. Yeah, she writes for Prospects 1500. She does. Yeah, but I mean, does photography must be her passion because you, yeah, she she follows the Quakes. She follows those guys everywhere. She is. Yeah, and she's credentialed by a whole bunch of different, she was telling us about that, that she's credentialed by a bunch of different organizations now. So good for Fantastic. her. Fantastic, absolutely. Moving on to Fort Wayne, strike one. Wednesday, the only player to make consistent contact this week has been Aussie Jared Dale. He has back-to-back multi-hit games for the first time this season. He doubled tonight, gave... Uh, his double tonight gave him the team lead, went ahead of the aforementioned, beforementioned Mears. I tweeted, I edited that part out. <laughs> the versatile infielder has played mostly shortstop this year after seeing time all over the diamond a season ago in Lake Elsinore. On the pitching side, Jackson Wolf <laughs> seems to be getting better with each start and providing that he is one of the better pitching prospects in the system. Over we need last- to get one of those sound boards. So every time right. you say his name, you can right. hit the button. Right. Right. Uh, over the last two starts, Wolf has gone uh, 10 innings, uh, 10 innings, 10 and a third innings pitch, three hits, zero earned runs, five base on balls and 13 Ks. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of room to grow. Wolf is tall college lefty who has an advanced feel for pitching. He uses his height and delivery extremely well to allow his fastball to generate swing and misses up in the zone and provide extra drop on his breaking pitches. If he keeps this up, he can be one of the first names promoted when the waves start happening closer to the draft. Yeah, that's coming. That's what, about a month and a half away? Yes. All right, so strike two on Thursday. Noel Vela struck out 10 batters in five innings without issuing a free pass, his first start of the year with fewer than two free passes. In the process, the 2017 28th rounder dropped his ERA to a league-leading 0.44 in 20 and uh, one-third innings. These numbers are phenomenal, but it's not to say Vela came from nowhere. 
His 2021 came with a 3.90 ERA split between the two single-A affiliates, and he struck out 107 batters in 87 and two-third innings. That said, this is a large step forward. There are so many arms from the 2021 draft crop to keep track of, but don't forget Ryan Auk. That's O-C-H. The seventh rounder from Southern Mississippi has a 1.46 ERA and 23 strikeouts in 12 and a third innings in 2022. By the way, Tin Caps pitchers lead the league in strikeouts per nine with 11.6 and total strikeouts at 277. So we're going to talk about the missions pitching, which hasn't been such a bright spot. But the tin caps, holy smokes, there's a bunch of talent on that. And it's a bunch of guys that aren't like frontline prospect right. names. Right. Guys that, that just, they can, God, Preller and his staff know how to find the talent. Right. And you're only going to know about them if you, if you follow Mad Friars and you listen to us, right? Yes, absolutely. So moving on to strike three. So I, I watch a lot of this series. It's the, the Rattlers. It's a, it's a new team in this league of this year since the contraction. It's the, um, it's the Wisconsin Rattlers, the Timber Rattlers. They have phenomenal, phenomenal production value in their games. Uh, their graphics will have like... You know, like a little sound when it kind of comes up on the screen. Do you have like an um, animated snake like coming out to? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but like it'll be like Robert Hassel the third. You know, it'll have you know a little little sound. Um, the direction is excellent, like a really really well organized organized um production value there, and the team is really good. So every game I watched, they were just pitching so well, hitting everything. It was it's a really tough affiliate. Do they have that guy from uh, from uh, uh, Police Academy uh, on their broadcast crew? Because they might no, not be no. sound effects. Maybe it's just maybe it's just Michael Winslow over there doing his thing. Yeah, <laughs> dude, throwing out that is an old reference lost on perhaps some of our younger listeners. <laughs> that dude, was, I mean, when that guy when that show came out and and like he was doing like, yeah, you're like, oh, that's really good. Uh, he could do anything. Yeah. A helicopter, Jimi Hendrix, a dolphin, whatever. He had it all. Anyway, okay, so, so the Timber Rattlers. So the Brewers affiliate is tough. All week they've been pitching, hitting, and generally doing everything right. But there are lights. That's right. I said lights at the end of the tunnel. Friday, Josh Ramirez had a home run and a multi-hit game for the first time since April 23rd. Ripken Reyes also had two hits in the game, including a triple in the eighth. The lights are you don't really care about wins and losses in the minor leagues. What you care about is development. Robert yeah. Hassel. You know, last week we were talking about Joshua Mears and yeah. how he'd kind of fallen into a hole. Uh, he started off hot and then the next series just over with a ton of strikeouts. Yep. It's you got to have a short, a short memory. Right. Absolutely. And, and you wins and losses don't matter. It's about how well they do. And even when they don't do well, it's learning. They're learning. Right. You know, um, so Hassel leads the Midwest league in hits with 35 second in uh, total bases, total bases at 52 RBI is 22 fourth in average at 350. He had another two hits tonight. And this was done like uh, last, last week, a uh, sixth in OPS um, and HRs with five seventh in stolen bases with nine slugging at 540 10th in runs. He had reached base safely in all of the first 20, all first 20 games has reached base safely in all of the first 20 games has still reached in all but two games. Joshua Mears leads the Midwest League in home runs with eight and extra base hits with 13. He ranks seventh in RBI with 18 and ninth in total bases with 47. Mears is second amongst high all high A players in home runs. So that's not just the Midwest League. That's right. 
the whole level. Uh, and he already has three games in which he's hit two homers. Brandon Venezuela has thrown out 10 base runners attempting to steal most in the Midwest league. And Jared Dill ranks 10th in the Midwest league with doubles with six. Finally, Ripken Reyes is fifth in the Midwest league. Uh, in hit by a pitch with four, he has the fourth lowest strikeout rate at 13.9. So that's something they watch. Uh, and then second lowest st- swinging strike rate at 6.2. So that means he's not chasing much outside the zone. And he's also not missing much inside the zone. Yeah. So when all these wins and losses during the season, you have these that, that show that there is progress being made. There is development. And these guys are a lot better than say, you know, the wins and losses in in the box score for sure. And you also have to look at the age, how old these guys are. Robert Hassel is young for the level uh, Robert Mears, uh, Valenzuela. These guys are all pretty young for their level. Yeah. So the pitching staff, they're a little bit more mature. You got some college guys in there that are probably going to move up pretty soon. But when you've got teenagers and guys that are 2021 20, that are in high a, they can repeat for a year or even two, and they're still not behind the curve. Right. Absolutely. So moving on to San Antonio with strike one Wednesday, the missions collected 10 hits and slugged five homers. Connor Hollis went four for five and Domino Labia, Domingo Labia, Leba drove in three runs. Hollis in one day raised his betting average 40 points and his OPS by 70. His four hit night tied his career high and must be a welcome sight as a former race prospect had been struggling since signing with the Padres. Jorge Ona hit his fourth home run of the season. This puts him one fewer than he had the last three years combined. He's also had his first four-hit game, hitting streak of the year. While it has only been one hit in each game, it has still managed to raise his OPS over 100 points during that span. Yeah, Jorge Ona is someone we haven't really talked about here simply because there hasn't been much to talk about. He has struggled. He is hitting in the low twos, if not high 100s right now. It's just... Um, it seems to be breaking out of it now, but um, he, I was really hoping to have him have a breakout season this year. Yeah, well, he was cleared off the 40-man roster, um, and we didn't see him working with the major league side in spring training. Yeah. Um, so we were trying to figure out what we could read into it. Um, but clearly he was very raw when he was up with the major league yeah. team. It seemed premature. They, they added him to the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Uh, and so, yeah, he's strong. He's got some, some tools, but you've got to turn those tools into baseball skills and he's still got a little ways to go. Absolutely. Chandler Siegel had a pair of hits, including a double and even managed to chip in on the base pass with his first stolen base of the year. (sighs) That's where we put in a little clappy hand thing Uh (laughs) and just his fifth of his professional career. (sighs) Siegel hasn't hit much during his pro career, but he has been lauded for his defensive prowess behind the dish. Matt Waldron, tallied six punch outs in four and two thirds innings. The bad news was that he allowed seven hits, a walk and a hit batter. Clearly Waldron can be successful when he hits his spots. However, at the double a level, hitters are less forgiving when a pitcher doesn't. Well, when you're throwing knuckleballs, yeah, yeah I can imagine that thing changes by the day. Yeah. You know, one day it feels right. The next day it doesn't. I mean, just every day you get up and you put a baseball in your hand and it feels different just because yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's really a lot of those places. It's very windy. So he's pitching into the wind and that ball isn't probably moving as well as he think it would, or even maybe holds it back a little bit. Right. Or if he's pitching, if, if it's blowing out, right. You know, then people are able to tee up on it and maybe it's not going to be quite floating the way he needs it to. Okay. So strike two on Thursday, Connor Hollis appeared to put the nails in the hooks coffin with a grand slam in the top of the ninth. 
but Corpus still managed three runs in the bottom of the frame. It was the third home run of the season for Hollis, who signed with the Padres from the Tampa Bay Rays organization in the spring. The infielder also had a pair of singles. The win went to friend of the podcast, Tom Gosgrove. The lefties two scoreless innings were an oasis in a desert of big offense. The 2017 12th rounder has a 1.86 ERA and 1.14 whip in nine and two thirds innings of work. Jorman Rodriguez continues to swing the bat well as San Antonio's primary catcher, adding a pair of singles and three RBI slashing 294, 322, 459 in 85 at bats. He's also been playing some first base and some third base. Okay, nice. And uh, look, you want the leadoff man to, to get on base, right? Well, Estuary Ruiz went 0 for 1, but managed to score five times, walking twice, and, well, wearing one three more times <laughs> as a trio of hit by pitches got the center fielder on base. The 23-year-old is already at a career-high 11 plunkings on the year. This is in addition to a season in which Ruiz is swinging the bat very well, batting 353 with a 1.169 OPS. The missions drew a total of 11 walks this game. Um, and so when I saw this note, I decided to look it up. And he's actually leading all of minor leagues. Uh, at the time when I looked it up, he had 12 hit by a pitch. Uh, and there were only four guys with more than seven in any affiliated league at any level. So I don't know what he's doing to get hit by so many pitches. Maybe he was taking notes from Ty France or. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I imagine he probably he's probably right on top of the, of the yes. plate when he sets up. Um, I hope he's wearing one of those big elbow pads. If he's getting hit that often, cause that, that starts to hurt. I mean, maybe Dwayne Williams Sutton can give him some advice too. You know, and we, and we, we would think we would laugh at the getting hit by a pitch so many times, but when a kid's having a breakout season like this, you certainly want that to stop because you certainly don't want one of those to be a hit in the hand or hit, you know, hit in, in a part where the body where he's hurt and it kind of derails the whole season. So it's kind of fun for having to get hit, but it was someone that it seems to be on a break of at least, you know, at least getting noticed nationally, but certainly within the organization. You don't want that train to stop by getting hit in the hand or, or injured on getting hit by a pitch. Well, there could be some some scouting involved in this, too, that maybe the, the book is out that you don't want him to get extended. You want to try to tie him up. So right. they're trying to pitch him inside. And the guys that don't have quite the command to do that, you know, they're getting away from him a little bit. And instead of being up under the hands, now it's in the ribs. But put him on base. The guy, the guy's got wheels, yep. so yep. he's. I'm sure he's happy to take that to take the base and go with it. Absolutely. So strike three. Reggie Lawson made his fourth start for San Antonio and labored through his fourth straight outing on the year. The 24 year old has allowed 15 earned runs in 10 innings with a brutal five to 12 strikeout to walk ratio. San Antonio took advantage of eight walks by the hook staff, four errors in the field, and ran wild on their catcher with seven stolen bases. Woo. Yeah, but you know what? I as we've said the last couple of weeks. Oh yeah. And anytime Reggie Lawson is walking off the mound, healthy and ready to go next time is a good day. Absolutely. So as Ruiz swiped one base and is leading the Texas league with 18, he remains tied for second on the circuit with 22 walks and his OPS is good for fourth. He came into the year with twice as many strikeouts as walks in his career, but that is down to a one-to-one -one ratio this season. Nice. Great, great plate discipline. Uh, Jorge Oña, 25, had his third multi-hit game of the season with a pair of doubles. After bottoming out at 130, 161, 296 on April 28th, he's hit in six of seven games since to race his OPS 163 points. Saturday was just his second game all year without a strikeout. 
one of the Padres' key international signings from 2016. The Cuban outfielder has struggled with injuries and performance and has not played more than 25 games since 2018. Yeah, absolutely. So for Friday, the missions, missions drew eight walks, but managed to only go two for 12 with runners in scoring position on the day as they came up short in the series finale on Corpus. As Drew Ruiz continues to get on base often, even though he's not getting many of his hits in the lineup as a designated hitter Sunday, Ruiz drew a walk and got hit by a pitch for the sixth time in 37 plate appearances over the last seven games. He had only five hits, four extra bases, uh, four for extra bases uh, in May, but still sports a 514 OPS um, on base percentage, sorry, which is actually an improvement on his stellar April. He has seen his strikeout rate creep above 25% for the month after keeping it at 15% in April. Jorge Ona connected on his third uh, double of the weekend and hit two, is, is now hitting 273, 429, uh, 545 in this series. On the year, the missions pitching staff has struck out fewer batters than any club on the circuit while issuing more walks than all but one staff. That's a stunning stat to me. That's just brutal. Uh, That pattern held Sunday as they allowed four free passes and struck out only five hooks batters. Kevin Copps yielded a pair of the walks after coming on to preserve a 6-6 tie. The righty has now walked nine of the four batters he's faced in 10 innings of work, contributing to a 6.30 ERA, even though he's held opponents to a 125 average. Opponents have been effective in waiting out his slider, which he'll have to use in the zone more effectively. And I haven't looked back to his college times, but I, I feel like in the highlights that I saw around the draft, I saw a lot of guys waving at that slider that was way over in the left-handers uh, batter's box. I've seen a couple of times where it's just like, God, they're just swinging. They're just, they're, they're waving at it. Um, it just depends on who it is, but this also shows that, you know, there's, there's some, there's some room for growth, but there's also some light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, he's walking guys, but they're only hitting 125. So there's the light in the tunnel that we'll see as he progresses as a pitcher, as he continues to develop, like everyone just wanted to rush this guy to the major leagues because he was a, a golden spikes award winner. Well, you have to take your lumps. You have to develop. You have to learn how to pitch, um, you know, in professional baseball before you get up to the big show. Right. So getting a little more command on that slider, being able to land it for strikes, you know, that'll keep hitters honest. Then they can't spit on it. Um, And that could be the thing that rockets him up. Absolutely. So moving on to El Paso, strike one Wednesday, weather's report. Ryan Weathers had his best start in a very long time. One of the noticeable differences between Weathers in previous years compared to this year is he's attempting to pitch to more contact and morph himself into a ground ball pitcher. His strikeout rate has dropped from nearly 9Ks per nine innings, pitched uh, to 6.5K to nine in San Diego last year, to just over 5K uh, to nine this year. This precipitous drop could be a cause for concern or a byproduct of whether it's adopting a new way to pitch lower in the zone. And that will lead to fewer home runs. Only time will tell, but after allowing nine earned runs over his first three starts, whether has now allowed one runner fewer in two of his last three starts. Catcher Luis Camposano came back to triple a and casually picked up where he left off. He had two singles and reached via a walk. He now has hit safely in all but one minor league game in 2022 and has collected two or more hits in half of his triple A games. Yeah. So I thought I'd, I'd look something up real quick. So yeah. Ryan Weathers, his ERA on the season is 5.63. Uh, his FIP fielding independent pitching is 6.77. And the reason I wanted to look that up. So fielding independent pitching is only looking at strikeouts, walks and home runs. 
So the, the, the idea is to take fielding completely out of the occasion, the equation, but when somebody's a, a pitcher to contact a ground ball pitcher, the FIP tends to be much higher than the ERA. Um, and I, I think that's something that may kind of sour people on him because right. people want to see strikeouts. Right. Um, but pitching to contact is something that gives people a long time, you know, a long career, a long, healthy career in the major leagues. That's, I mean, we just, we just watched the Padres lineup get torn up by Kyle Kendricks who tops out at like 88. Yeah. But all he does is nibble around the zone. He's yep. got a whole bunch of different breaking stuff. So he can make his fastball move every which way, but he can paint around the edges of the zone. And that's the kind of guy that Ryan Weathers is going to need to be to be successful. Absolutely. And it takes time for that. Like it says in here, it takes time to learn that and to become that. So, you know, right now we're kind of in between of like, this is showing up, the numbers are showing up, but not necessarily the results. So, right. And when a pitcher's coming up through the minors, you're, you're facing inferior, I don't want to say inferior, but lower levels of competition. You can overpower those guys. Then you get up to the majors and, oh man, I need to make an adjustment. You can't blow them away anymore. So that's where pitching to contact becomes a skill that guys need to, to learn. And that's, we keep, we were talking about that with Chris Paddock for a, for a while, like quit trying to blow everybody away and let your defense pick you up. And absolutely. Let them get themselves out. Right. Okay. So on Saturday, um, five El Paso Chihuahua pitchers combined to shut out the Sugarland Space Cowboys. So the Sugarland Space Cowboys, they've been the Sugarland Skeeters for so long and the Sugarland Skeeters just rolls off the tongue. Uh, but Tim Haggerty, the, uh, the play-by-play guy in San in uh, El, El Paso, he posted some pictures around the ballpark and you know, they've been having some fun with that name. He's like, okay, I can get used to this. Okay, so they combined. Sh- yeah, go ahead. Well, and I dig the uh, you know the, the the their logo is freaky because it's like a it's a you know it's a space guy, but instead of a face, you have actual space. You have stars, and it, so it's it's kind of kind of cool, kind of weird, kind of surreal a little bit. Right, and it fits in with the Astros. They're yeah. the the farm club for the Astros and Houston. You know, with the space, you know the the space center and all that. Yeah. Okay, so the Chihuahuas shut out the Sugarland Space Cowboys on Saturday, 2-0, uh, giving El Paso its first shutout of the season. Chihuahua starting pitchers have allowed only one run in 17 and a third innings over the last four games. Jesse Schultens pitched four shutout relief innings Saturday and lowered his ERA to 1.95, which is the best ERA among PCL pitchers with enough innings to qualify. Chihuahua's shortstop, Eggy Rosario, was ejected after arguing a called third strike in the fifth inning. It was the fourth game in a row that one of the teams had at least one person ejected. Oof. Interesting. Very interesting. You know, Jesse Schultons is a guy that is quiet and unassuming and isn't, doesn't come with a lot of pizzazz and isn't on a lot of top prospect lists, but is quickly and very steadily continuing to show that he could be major league ready. Right. Yeah. And I'd like to talk to you about something once we're done here uh, that somebody brought up to me. Okay. We'll, we'll talk. We can't talk about it here now, can we? Uh, but oh, we will. Step. We will. Okay. Well, strike three, the Chihuahua scored eight runs in their 12 batter top of the sixth inning Sunday and beat the Sugarland Space Cowboys 10 to two. The eight runs were the most El Paso was scored in an inning this season. Starter Reese Kinnear allowed one run in six innings and struck out eight, while, while, which is the most strikeouts by an El Paso pitcher this season. Chihuahua starting pitchers have allowed two runs in 23 and two thirds of an inning and last five ga- in the last five games. Sugarland scored two runs in the final 20 innings of the series. El Paso's Alderlin Rodriguez went one for four with two RBI Sunday and drove in eight runs in the series. 
Taylor Callaway went three for four with the walk Sunday and has reached base seven times in the last two games. El Paso won four of the six games in Sugarland to clinch their second straight series win. The Chihuahuas have won nine of the last 13 games. You know, and that's like the series before that, you just thought the major league, you know, the, the Space Cowboys were a major league team. They were just crushing everything. And then just the, the Chihuahuas looked so flat, but now it's kind of seemed to have turned the corner. And now the Chihuahuas are on top. I saw somewhere that Adderland Rodriguez is leading the, the PCL with 30 runs batted in. <laughs> okay. So somebody stroke up a conversation with me the other day. Uh, there was no major league phase portion of the rule five draft last winter. Um, and so you got a lot of guys that would have been eligible for that. That might've had an opportunity to come up and contribute in the major leagues one way or another. Um, and now this year, so like Jesse Schultens, this is what made me think of it, that he's having a really solid year. He was rule five eligible last year. And I could see somebody looking at him going, let's give him, let's see what we, what he's got. You know, yeah. maybe he's got a chance to stick uh, the Padres. You know, their starting pitching staff runs a good eight, 10, 12 guys deep right now. So the chances of him making it to the majors are, are slim to none, at least in this organization. What would you think if baseball decided to have a rule five draft sometime in the middle of the season, say between the, the amateur draft and the trade deadline? Well, I wouldn't like it because what I'm thinking of now with, with Jesse with so much pitching that we have, even, even in, in the minors is like, he's a trade chip. You know, he's, he's someone to sweeten the deal on a team that, you know, needs pitching that is going to be trading away some of their stars and could use someone like that uh, in their rotation. For sure. And sweeten it with a deal with another player. Uh, and then you have that. So I, I'm not sure how that would work mid season like that because of the new, you know, cause where the uh, trade deadline is. But so maybe, maybe you do it after the trade deadline then to get yeah. all that stuff out of the way. Right. Right. Everything's kind of settled. The dust is settled. Now you have guys that could use some, you know, it's kind of like a double trade line trade deadline where you pick up guys. Yeah. Well, because part of the reason why they didn't have the rule five draft. So the, the, the lockout was going on um, and then it kept dragging on. And now if you were going to try to have a rule five draft in say March or April, nobody's had a chance to take a look at these guys in so however many months. So who knows what kind of condition people are in, who's gotten better, who's taken a step back. Right. So when they do that right after the Arizona fall league, you have a pretty fresh idea of who's doing what and, and who teams might be interested in. So somebody raised that idea of a rule five draft in the middle of the season. And for guys like, like him or Matt Batten or even Esturi Ruiz, yeah. you know, they might have an opportunity somewhere that may, they may not have with their parent team. Yeah, absolutely. And there are several teams that are tanking so badly that they would certainly have a space on their roster for them. Right. Right. Coming well, with, I, speaking of which, like the Reds, I think they won two games this last weekend. I, you know, I want them to take on the Cleveland Spiders for the all-time worst record. I want them to to be so bad their owner is forced to sell the team. Uh, oh, I hate seeing what's yeah, happening there yeah. and in Oakland. So I yeah. I looked up uh, Adrian Martinez. He made his major league debut in front of an empty stadium. You look behind him, and there's just like a couple of people in these thousands of seats. And it's it's depressing what's what's going depressing. on, and it's not it's not fair to the fan bases because I mean Cincinnati they had they've got the oldest major league franchise, yeah, they can claim that, and then yeah. Oakland when times are good in Oakland they have one of the rowdiest, most yeah. loyal, vocal fan bases that there is. 
But right now the owners are making things just so unpleasant for, for fans to want to come out. Why do they want to come out and root when you've got the, the owner saying stuff on the radio and putting an inferior product on the, on the field? Ah, it's, it's horrible. And, and I really wish that the lockout would have had fixed that. And they are, what they did have there is they tried to fix it, but it didn't seem like it seemed like once they came out of the lockout. Oh, yeah. You, you want to stop the tanking? Well, watch this. Yeah. Reds and A's are like, <laughs> hold my beer. You know, exactly. Reds, I, I don't know what the Reds are doing that for, but obviously the A's want to move to Vegas, even though that the, their ballpark seems to be moving forward. Um, yeah, I saw that news that the there's a proposal for like a $15 development program, $15 million, $15 billion development in it right there on the on the waterfront, yeah. including a billion dollar stadium. And then there'd be a hotel next to it and all this other stuff going on. Huge, huge news. But they're still trying to tank their way to Las Vegas, it seems. Yeah. And that's just that's just too rough. Um that's all we got. It's, yeah, I didn't uh, mean to end it on a downer. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we got 20 minutes from the first pitch, and I'm going to go watch some minor league baseball so I can not pay attention to the major league team. Oh, man, um, would you look at that? Until then, you can find me on Twitter, SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Let's go, Padres. Go Padres. Welcome to episode one, uh, one, <laughs> start over and one, two, three, <laughs> damn it. What Hold happened on. to you? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs>